Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning, North Sound family. So good to see you all this morning. And uh, I am delighted that even on a kind of a crummy day like this, you chose to join us. And I want to invite you to stick around for the annual meeting, which will follow this meeting, uh, about 11.15 or so. So um, you get a chance to hear what's going on. We, we have stuff that happens at church that's important, uh, but we don't talk about it very often. And uh, this is the chance to do that. So you'll have an opportunity in the annual meeting to hear, for example, about the church finances and how we've been doing through this COVID time. And you'll have an opportunity to weigh in, uh, as members at least, on a member on a elder selection um, as we uh, ratify a couple of elders this time around. Um, you'll hear uh, about the budget for the coming year and why we feel like that will be important. Uh, and uh, you'll hear from the pastors briefly about their ministry areas and what their plans are for the year as well. You don't have to be a quote-unquote member to hang out with us for the meeting. Um, the only difference will be that members are able to ask questions and to vote on specific things that come up for voting. Um, so if you have a question, make sure you whisper it to a member um, between this service and the meeting that's coming up, okay? Um, it's so uh, good, as I mentioned, to see you all. We have sort of been, uh, we have been uh, sort of... Um, in a, in a fix regarding uh, COVID, uh, as you may have noticed, we have two guitar spots missing today. Uh, on the one hand, one of those guitarists uh, is in Hawaii doing missionary work in the South Seas. Um, and, uh, but um, we are, Pastor Finney was going to help us this morning with guitar, and uh, he came down testing positive this week for COVID, and he's feeling pretty good, but his, but his kids have come down with it now as well, so he and Joanne are home today. Um, as I mentioned COVID, this has been such an incredible time, and the Omicron variant just seems to have gone like crazy. I read um, yesterday that a UW scientist suggests this may be the beginning of the end. And so I am, I'm an optimist, so I'm hopeful that that will be the case. Thank you for masking. Uh, thank you for helping us with that. It's a, it's a challenge. Um, I, I was chatting with um, Evie this morning. Dick and Evie are part of our congregation. Evie is the principal of the preschool at King's. Um, and everything that we do, whether it's vaccinations or masking, has become politicized, even if there's no, no politics involved in it. We're just trying to get by, uh, and it makes leadership hard. So pray for Evie and the other folks in administration there, and quite frankly, in our public school systems as well, that they would have wisdom to navigate um, these conflicting kinds of demands and perspectives that people have uh, along, this, along this time. Okay, let me encourage you to also um, join Pastor Nancy tomorrow night uh, for uh, Disciples Made or Followers Made. Pastor Robin did a great job of announcing that. Um, I just want to add my suggestion that even if you're not ready to carve out six months, try one night at least and see if it's for you. Um, it's a pretty intensive discipleship opportunity, and some of us uh, need that, and so I 
all of us need it, frankly. So I encourage you to do that. Also want to apologize for not being able to do the, um, the Fresh Expressions breakfast yesterday with Finney coming down um, with COVID. We decided not to go ahead with that. It's rescheduled for a couple of weeks out. So you also have an opportunity to join us for that as well. And we'll share a little bit more. Next. I've been thinking a bit about age recently. This week, Dr. Herb Clark, who along with his wife Lynn are a part of the North Sound family, Um, and by the way, we welcome all of you that are joining us via live stream, and also a reminder that you can uh, join us for the annual meeting via live stream as well. So Dr. Clark this week sent me for an MRI of my knee, uh, because it's been bugging me for about four months. And uh, finally got an MRI, and he said, you have a couple of meniscus tears, and we're going to have to do surgery to fix those things. And uh, this will be number three meniscus repair for me. And um, there are those occasions, I have to confess, when I feel like I'm not as young as I used to be. Now, those occasions may be very rare, but I experience them once in a while. And... uh, Lee Lagesholt sent something about a week or so ago um, that was a little encouraging to me in the midst of beginning to feel old. And the encouragement was that I'm not quite as old as the stories of a few people I'm going to share with you. These are stories about getting a little bit older that applies not to everybody here, but to some of us here. A woman said she quietly confided This older lady quietly confided in her friend that she was having an affair. And her friend said, well, are you having it catered? (laughs) (laughs) So just just before the funeral service, the elderly widow was asked by the undertaker, and undertakers, you know, typically do something like, like this, I think, when, when they ask the question, um, very sincere. Um, so how old was your husband? He says, oh, he was 98 years of age. And he said, and, and how old of you are you? And she said, well, I'm 96 years of age. And uh, so the undertaker said, so you're two years younger than your husband. And the woman said, yes, it hardly makes sense going home, does it? <laughs> Reporters were interviewing a 104-year-old woman and asked her, what's the best thing about being 104? And she said, no peer pressure. (laughs) This woman said, I've grown old and I've outlived, or a gentleman, I believe it was, said, I've grown old and I've outlived my feet and my teeth. I've had two bypass surgeries, a hip replacement, new knees, fought prostate cancer. Yeah, it's a man. Fought prostate cancer and diabetes. I'm half blind. I can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine. Take 40 different medications that make me dizzy, winded, and subject to blackouts. Have bouts with dementia. Have poor circulation. Hardly feel my hands and feet anymore. Can't remember if I'm 85 or 92. Have lost all my friends, but thank God I still have my driver's license. (laughs) And uh, this this last one here, maybe it may be my favorite. I think it's Barb's favorite, yeah? 
This woman says, I feel like my body has gotten totally out of shape, so I got my doctor's permission to join a fitness club and start exercising. I decided to take an aerobics class for seniors. I bent, twisted, gyrated, jumped up and down, and perspired for an hour. But by the time I got my tights on, the class was over. (laughs) Okay. Now we make a radical shift from leotards to sin. A number of years ago, a famous psychiatrist by the name of Carl Menninger wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. I think he wrote the book in the 70s or 80s, and I don't know how many of you um, have had an opportunity to read the book or are familiar with it, but some 30 or 40 years ago, he was already talking about the fact that we don't talk much about sin in American culture anymore. And as a psychiatrist, he was talking about the importance of being able to address that concept in our lives. The problem is is that we don't hear much about the word sin anymore. It's not a popular world in our individualistic culture where our culture itself dictates that our lifestyle allows us to do pretty much anything we want to do as long as we don't hurt someone else in that process or perceive that we don't hurt someone else. But it doesn't actually work that way. Every one of us, I believe, has a profound awareness when we don't do the thing that we should do or we do the thing that we know we shouldn't do. God's wired us with a conscience. He's wired us in such a way that something just doesn't feel right when we either do what we shouldn't do or don't do what we should do. We feel guilty, and no matter what the the culture tells us, and when we, we keep doing it, we find that we become controlled by that thing that initially was our free choice. And it begins to lead to different patterns of sin in our lives, and in some case, addictions in our lives, whether that be drugs or alcohol or uh, gambling, whatever the case may be, or it may be in some cases our phones and our social media. But sin comes into all of our lives in many different ways. I've always appreciated the honesty of John Ortberg. John is formerly the pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church in the Bay Area, And he talks about sin so honestly in his own life. But I think if we're honest, if we're honest, we could give a similar confession to what he gives. Perhaps you recall his words. He says, I'm disappointed with myself. I'm disappointed not so much with particular things I've done as with aspects of who I have become. I have a nagging sense that all is not as it should be. Some of this disappointment is trivial. I wouldn't have minded getting a more muscular physique. I can't do basic home repairs. So far, I haven't shown much financial wizardry. Some of this disappointment is neurotic. Sometimes I'm too concerned about what others think of me, even people I don't know. Some of this disappointment I know is worse than trivial. It's simply sour fruit of self-absorption. I attend a high school reunion and can't choke back the desire to stand out by looking more attractive or having achieved more impressive accomplishments than my classmates. 
I speak to someone to whom I want to be charming and my words come out awkward and pedestrian. I'm disappointed in my ordinariness. But some of this disappointment in myself runs deeper when I look in on my children as they sleep at night. I think of the kind of father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want them to remember laughing until the tears flow. I want to read to them and make the books come alive so they love to read. I want to have slow, sweet talks with them as they're getting ready to close their eyes. I want to sing them awake in the morning. I want to chase fireflies with them, teach them to play tennis, have food fights and hold them and pray for them in a way that makes them feel cherished. But as I look in on them as they sleep at night, And I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers. And I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy needed to teach them how to resolve conflict. I remember how my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner and I yelled at her about being careful as if she'd revealed some deep character flaw. I yelled at her even though I spill things all the time and no one yells at me. I yelled at her to tell the truth simply because I'm big and she's little and I can get away with it. And then I saw that look of hurt and confusion in her eyes and I knew there was a tiny wound in her heart that I had put there. And I wished I could have taken those 60 seconds back. I remember how at night I didn't have slow, sweet talks but merely rushed the children to bed so I could have more time to myself. I'm disappointed. And it's not just my life as a father. I'm disappointed also for my life as a husband, friend, neighbor, and human being in general. I think of the day I was born when I carried the gift of promise, the gift given to all babies. I think of that little baby and what might have been the ways I might have developed mind, body, and spirit, the thoughts I might have had, and the joy I might have created. I'm disappointed that I love God so little and sin so much. I've always had the idea as a child that adults were pretty much the people they wanted to be. Yet the truth is, I am embarrassingly sinful. I'm capable of dismaying amounts of jealousy if someone succeeds more visibly than I do. I'm disappointed at my capacity to be small and petty. I cannot pray for very long without my mind drifting into a fantasy of angry revenge over some past slight I thought I had long since forgiven or some grandiose fantasy of achievement. I can convince people I'm busy and productive and yet waste large amounts of time watching television. Now these are just some of the disappointments. I have other ones, darker ones, that I'm not ready to commit to paper. The truth is, even to write these words is a little misleading because it makes me sound more sensitive to my fallenness than I really am. Sometimes... Although I'm aware of how far I fall short, it doesn't even bother me very much. And I'm disappointed by my lack of disappointment. Friends, perhaps you don't identify with an addiction, but all of us can identify, I believe, with the story, with the confession that John gives us here. Paul puts this problem this way so brilliantly and concisely in the seventh chapter of his letter to the church in Rome. He says, so I find it a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. 
who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes on to say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now some of you may be wondering at this point, what does this have to do with Moses? And what does this have to do with the Exodus, which is where we're coming to in the story of Moses' life? Well, I want to take a moment and read from Exodus chapter 12. And then we're going to circle back and connect these things together. Verse 21 of Exodus chapter 12, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he see, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a status for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. The people bowed their heads and worshiped. Again, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with the greatest story ever told and with sin? Well, it has to do with something called typology, typology. And I have on the screen this brief definition. I'll read a little bit more than that. But I want you to understand what typology means when we look at the Old Testament, when we understand Scripture. Typology is a relationship in which something occurred in the, occurring in the past is a copy or pattern of something in the present or future. The principal purpose of such a correspondence is to instruct by presenting a picture rather than data, just as a teacher might seek to acclimate pupils to a difficult concept by presenting a simple illustration before dealing with the concept directly. Persons, events, or things in the Old Testament, while possessing true historical validity in themselves also function as divinely appointed illustrations of what was yet to come. So we're going to talk in a moment about the Exodus, but some of you may remember a more recent Exodus, the book that was written by Leon Uris in 1957. And it was a book that kind of put him on the map, although he was the writer for the gunfight at the OK Corral He also wrote a book called Trinity, Mila 18, uh, were other books that he wrote, also Battle Cry. And the, the movie that came out of his book was immensely popular, but his book in and of itself was 600 pages, and it really gave him literary fame. It was a detailed chronicle of Exodus. He called the book Exodus, and in this case, it was the Exodus of the Jewish people who left Europe in the days uh, that led up to during and following World War II that had an exodus back to the promised land, back to Israel. And, And it became apparent why he called it exodus because it was just like the exodus that took place in Exodus chapter 12 where the people of God 
were called by God to leave in the exodus, that is leaving Egypt and heading into the promised land. And it's important to us to understand that this is about deliverance from captivity, deliverance from the captivity of Egypt and deliverance from the captivity of Europe in this season of history when so many Jewish people felt unwelcome. They were in captivity and they needed an exodus to return to the promised land. Now, as we look at the exodus, we'll see a powerful answer to the challenge of our sin because God provided us a way to have a release from captivity for our sin, to be able to deal with our sin, to be able to be released from the captivity of our sin and to have an exodus from it. Now, in the original story, we've jumped from where Robin had us in the early chapters last week. We've jumped to chapter 12. And what we jumped over were the plagues that came upon Egypt. There were nine of them. And if you remember, God called Moses. He went back and these plagues took place. And with each plague, it appeared like Pharaoh's heart was going to be softened and he was going to release the people of Israel, but he did not with each plague. And so they got in more severe. And finally, the last plague was going to be the destruction of the firstborn of every living thing in Egypt. And so in order to see that that didn't happen to the people of God, They were given special instructions, and the special instructions were that they were to take a lamb without spot or wrinkle, a perfect lamb, and on the given night they were to gather to kill the lamb for their household, and they were to roast that lamb and eat that lamb, but they were to take the blood in the basin, and they were to take hyssop, a plant, and they were to apply that blood to the lintel and the doorposts of their home. The blood would be a signal to the destroying angel to pass over that house when the firstborn of every other living thing in Egypt was going to die. And God passed over, the destroying angel passed over these homes and hence The feast of Passover is celebrated to this very day by Jewish people, commemorating what it was that brought them out of Egypt, their release from captivity as a people, and an entrance into the promised land. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, let's turn again to the Bible and now and see how the writers of the New Testament understood the Passover, understood what just took place. So remember, a story that I tell often is the big story of creation, and that is that God exists and has always done so in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The bond between them is a bond of love, and you know that love grows. It's the nature of love, and in their case, it grew to the place of creation. It grew to the place of wanting to share that love with us with created human beings who were created in the image of God. And we have that story in the first two chapters of Genesis. But in chapter 3, something went very wrong. 
And what went wrong was the fact that you can't compel love. You can't force someone to love you. You have to give it by a free will. And so in order to give human beings a free will, the risk was that they would use it badly. And certainly in Genesis chapter 3, they see that we see that we as human beings used our free will badly. We chose not for God, but to be like gods ourselves. And it had profound consequences. And those consequences live down into our lives today in ways that John Ortberg did such a wonderful way of describing those consequences in his own life. How is this described, this curse that separated us from God? How is it described in the New Testament? Well, Paul again says it so well. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But he doesn't stop there. It's not just a rhetorical question. He gives the answer. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as the people of Israel were delivered from captivity by the death of the lamb, by the blood on the doorposts and the lintel that caused the destroying angel to pass over, so we are saved from sin by the death of the lamb of God. See how John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, addresses him at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John is baptizing for repentance. He's teaching a repentance. And he sees his cousin, and he points him out to the crowd that was with him. And notice the language that he uses. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The typology of the Exodus is not lost on John the Baptist. The typology of the Passover is not lost. It's understood that just as the blood of a lamb brought deliverance from captivity to the people of Israel, so the blood of the lamb brings release from captivity to every human being who chooses to follow him. Paul explicitly makes this connection in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Peter expands on it when he writes this. He says in 1 Peter, you were ransomed from the feudal ways. In other words, you were delivered from captivity. In the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do you see the connection? What's interesting is that this theme continues into the future, the future beyond us. In the passage that Ellen read for us this morning, and I'm going to reread, think about this Lamb of God and how it figures as we look further into the development of the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation we read, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out onto all the earth. 
And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals. Why? Because you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God. You delivered them. From the captivity of sin. From every tribe and language. People and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders. The voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads. And thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So, friends, we gather today with some two and a half billion Christians around the world. And we recognize what Jesus did before he went to the cross. The evening before he went to the cross and shed his blood as the Lamb of God, he sat down with his disciples and they had a meal together. They celebrated that night, the night before the cross, the Passover. And in the context of the Passover meal, Jesus launched, if you like, a Passover for Christians. He launched the Eucharist. He launched the great Thanksgiving. He took the Passover, which celebrated the deliverance from Egypt, and put it into the context of our deliverance from sin, from the captivity of sin, And our introduction into eternal life. And now, 2,000 years later, we gather around the table as we will next Sunday. And we will be reminded of the Lamb of God whose body was broken for us. And whose blood was shed for us to deliver us from captivity. Captivity to sin. Not just the sins of the world, but your sins and my sins. And this is how it happened as they celebrated the Passover. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood Of the covenant which is poured out for many. And friends, this is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's why in the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving, we give thanks to God. Because just like in Exodus, they were delivered by the blood of the Lamb. So, friends, we are delivered from our sin by the Lamb of God who takes away your sins.
and my sins. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the wonder of your word. We thank you, Lord, for how you delivered your people so many years ago when they were in captivity. You used a lamb. And Lord, I thank you that we too, so many years later, have been redeemed, have been set free, have been released from captivity by the Lamb of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand with us? if there's anyone here who has yet to take the blood of the lamb and recognize that he died for you he became the means by which your sins are forgiven I encourage you to come forward and Pastor Robin, Pastor Nancy, Pastor Jessica will be available and uh, they would be delighted to pray with you Also, if any of you have any specific needs, you're welcome to come forward as well and receive prayer. It's 11.01 on the clock behind you. uh, And so in about 15 minutes in this room, we will gather for the annual meeting. Uh, Folks online who want to join us want to remind you that we have a phone number that will be on the screen. And if you have a question, you can text that question in. Uh, And then there will be just a few issues that we'll be voting on, and you can do that uh, as well online. Um, We don't have Club Grub, obviously, but there uh, there is coffee available between the break here if you want to get some and bring it back in, uh, and we'll get underway uh, very shortly here. If you'll be heading home, God bless you and guide your steps. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day forevermore. 